Thank you, praise team. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> the Sermon on the Mount encompasses Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in the middle of this great sermon, our Lord gave what people call the, the Lord's Prayer. Actually, the Lord's Prayer is in John 17. This is the disciples' prayer. In other words, those who are disciples of Christ. This is how we ought to pray. In verse 9, we have these words. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then our Lord says something that troubled me and still does to some degree. I want you to listen closely. For if you, talking about the people of God, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. I think it was the year 1992, Franklin Heights gave my wife, my daughter, and myself, it was a year after our son was killed, a trip to England, and we stayed in uh, London mainly, and we, we were in a hotel that was literally about four or 500 yards from Buckingham Palace. <clears throat> I used to go down there every day to see if I could see any royalty, but they don't get out much, and so I didn't see them. <clears throat> but my wife and Deborah and I were sitting in the uh, lobby of this wonderful hotel, eating, I might add, scones, strawberries, and what the English call clotted cream. Yum, yum. <clears throat> and I noticed over by the bank of the elevators, it was a lot of activity. And then four or five young African men, they were all dressed in black suits, white shirts, and a black tie. And right in the middle of them was Nelson Mandela. And my wife said, I'm going over there and shake his hand. I said, I don't believe that's a good idea because I knew carrying under those coats were probably Uzis, and I didn't want my wife to get shot in the hotel lobby. What is interesting, 18 months later, Nelson Mandela became the president of South Africa. Now keep in mind, if you know anything about Nelson Mandela, he spent 20 years in a prison on Robbins Island <clears throat> and he was terribly treated, except for one guard who showed him some mercy. And he was let out of prison and elected the president of that great country. And this is what he said. He said, I want Africa, South Africa, to be a beautiful city or a beautiful nation, but for that to happen, we must take the road of forgiveness. And what he did, he appointed two vice presidents, 
One was black and one was white. His chief bodyguard was the man who in Robbins Island had showed him a modicum of mercy. And this great man tried to lead that country out of a history of apartheid. And he said, I want South Africa to be beautiful. But in order to do that, we must take the road of forgiveness. Robert Frost wrote a poem, and it was entitled, The Road Less Traveled. I think sometimes, even for the people of God, the road less traveled is often the road to forgiveness. With, with searing clarity, our Lord says in verse 14, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And so this morning, for the time that remains to us, I want to talk about what I believe is probably one of the most important subjects that the church needs to consider. And so let's first of all consider God's forgiveness and why do we need God's forgiveness? And so the question we could ask is why do good people need forgiveness? Well, I believe that there is a sense in which people who are not Christians can have a good reputation, they can treat their fellow man well. But in terms of our legal standing before God, the Bible says, in sin did my mother conceive me. The Bible makes it abundantly clear, all have sinned in Romans 3.23 and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans 6.23 it says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Indeed, all of us. In fact, it says that there is none righteous, and then the Holy Spirit adds these words. There is none righteous, no, not even one. And so I say to you today the reason that we need to take the road of forgiveness is because we all need forgiveness. And most important in that list is that we need the forgiveness of God because we are sinners. We are sinners by nature and we're sinners by practice. One does not have to read the newspaper each day very long before you read the reports of someone robbing a bank or killing a person or committing fraud, but above those kinds of things, you and I, even as the people of God, we are sinners and all of us stand in need of God's forgiveness. That is precisely the reason that Jesus went to the cross, because all have sinned, because there is none righteous, no, not even one. Listen to the great prophet of the 8th century, Isaiah. When Isaiah was talking about our Lord, and he said, All we like sheep have gone astray, and each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Folks, when Christ went to the cross, keep in mind that thousands of people had gone to the cross. 
that was the mode of execution, although it was against Roman law for any Roman citizen to be crucified. But Jesus would put on the cross, and there were two beside him were on the cross, and they suffered the physical pain. But what makes Christ different? As Isaiah said, we have, as sheep have gone astray, and the holy God laid on Christ the iniquity of us all. And during those hours on the cross, it was the precious, sinless Son of God who bore the sins of Larry Holland and add your name. And then to those, the whole world, in that moment that is beyond our ability to completely understand, God, through His Son, paid a penalty and bore our sin. No wonder on the cross in his Aramaic tongue, Jesus cried out, Eli, Eli, laba sabachthani, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, it was our holy God who turned his back on his only begotten son because all the sins of humanity were laid on the shoulders of Christ. Christ's crucifixion was different than any other man's because he bore our sins. God's wrath was laid on Jesus. And By the way, let me say something parenthetically. I have found as I have read the lives of godly people that those who have gone closer to God, we don't talk about sin as we should, we need to realize the more we grow in Christ, the more we realize how sinful we are. When a person starts talking about how good they are, they're not growing closer to God, they're growing away from God. The great men and women of the faith, we could talk about Amy Carmichael or Elizabeth Elliot or Mother Teresa or some of the great men, D.L. Moody, godly men, men who loved God with all their heart and they talked about how sinful they were. It is interesting to me that the Apostle Paul, we hold him up almost as the perfect Christian, but you remember what Paul said about his, himself? He said, I am the chief of sinners. Here was a man who was a missionary, an apostle, a man who planted treacheries, but yet he understood in his walk with God, he was a sinner that needed God's amazing grace. I like that old gospel song that says this, My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Folks, we have a lot to be thankful for today. We worry about what's going on in Israel and what might happen in the days to come. But I am grateful that because of Christ and because of Calvary's, up Calvary's mounting, one dreadful morn, walk Christ our Savior, weary and worn, facing for sinners, death on the cross, that he might save us from endless loss. Aren't you glad today that if you're a follower of Christ, all of our sins have been laid on Jesus, and we stand before God justified by the grace of God. I say to you today that 
the church, the pastor that you will call, he must understand and he must preach that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Christ went to Calvary to take the penalty for our sins. I have recently been reading uh, Amy Carmichael. Amy Carmichael was a, a woman who was from Ireland and she went to India and stayed 55 years, never went back to Ireland. Her work today, she died in 1951, her work today still is carried on. And here was a woman as she grew closer to Jesus Christ, she understood the nature of her own sin. Here was a woman who understood even as she suffered physically, she gave praise to God because her sins were forgiven. Some of you are going through storms. Life is not easy. We are in a storm, coming out of a storm, or getting ready to go into a storm, one preacher says. But we must not take lightly. The price Christ paid for our sins was indeed a terrible price. No wonder John Newton, that man who had been a, a slave trader, that man who ultimately was rescued by the grace of God and became a, an Anglican priest. He said this, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Oh, folks, we must consider that we today need the forgiveness of God. And then, and this is where the water meets the wheel, where the rubber meets the road. Consider the necessity of forgiving others. For the Christian, now get this and listen closely. For the Christian, forgiveness is not optional. If you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't get to choose whether or not you forgive somebody. In terms of your life with Christ, it is not an elected subject. You don't get to choose it or reject it. When I was in college and seminary, there were courses that were required, courses that I could elect or choose not to take. But if we're going to be forgiven, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, forgiveness is a required course. We cannot use it and say, well, preacher, you don't know how that person hurt me. And I, you're right, I don't. And you don't know what scars I carry from my childhood. You're right, I don't. But I knew, do know what the Bible says. And the Bible says, and that's the reason I says it's kind of disturbing. Verse 15, he, of course, in verse 14, he says, If you do forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. And then, this is what our precious Lord, by the way, these, these are the words of Jesus. He said, but if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about if we who are people who have been washed in the blood, if we have been embraced by the grace of God, if we have been saved, if we are genuine 
blood-bought children of God, we must be willing to forgive others. Wherever you are today in your Christian life, you can explain things away, but you cannot explain away the requirements that we must be willing to forgive God, our fellow man. I believe in a jaw-dropping way. Jesus said in verse 14, he links our forgiving others to God's forgiveness of us. Now, if you're a serious student of Scripture, don't try to explain that away. Accept it for, for what it is because, you see, all through the New Testament, this matter of forgiveness runs like a mighty river, deep and wide. Listen to what God says in Ephesians. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as the Lord has forgiven you. Listen to what Paul said in Colossians. He says, bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Both those verses are connected to that verse 15 in Matthew chapter 6. If we are to be forgiven, we must be willing to forgive. For if we do not, there are serious implications for that. Of course, it affects our relationship with our Lord. Of course it does. Listen to what in the same Sermon on the Mount, I've been reading from Matthew 6, but in Matthew 5, Jesus says, If therefore you are presenting your offering at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering and go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. What is he saying? Well, he's saying, if I harbor resentment, if I am not willing to forgive, and I come to church, uh, and, and I'm dressed up, and I sing the praise songs, and I give my offering, and I go through all the outward things that we call church, but if I am harboring unforgiveness in my heart, I might as well not even be here. That's how serious it is. Because you see, I cannot come and praise God for His forgiveness and revel in the grace of God, in the mercy of God, and then let it as a festering sword, let it in my life ruin my relationship to God. Amen? Oh my it's a troubling topic. I understand this. Maybe I had, should have picked a better day, but my point is, if we're going to be God's people, then we have to forgive others. The question, if that brother won't forgive you, say you go and ask for forgiveness. Well, I, I'm not going to forgive. You see, that's not up to you. You've done what you can do. There may have been times in your life that you wanted to be in a right relationship with another Christian, but they reject your offering of forgiveness or they will not forgive you. You've done everything you can do and you have to leave that up to God. But you see here in Matthew 5, he said, if you're here worshiping and you offer uh, uh, your praise and worship to God and you have 
harboring in your heart the lack of forgiveness, you must get that straight before you try to praise God. There are other areas, of course, that it affects. It affects marriage. In a relationship, uh, my wife and I, we've been married uh, 62 years in December. And I think I've told you this before. We have never one time thought of divorce. We have considered murder. <laughs> but you hang in there together. And you forgive each other, and you're willing to say, I'm sorry, and you're willing to say, will you forgive me? Because you see, we're human beings, and we fail, and we need to have a marriage that is open to forgiveness. It affects the fellowship in the church. Folks, I've preached in a lot of churches. I, you know, when you get retired, you have a little time on your hand. And One time I counted up, I think I preached in like 78 different churches. I preached in 27 different churches since I uh, uh, retired. I think this is the best one. <laughs> but my point is, but my point is, a, as a Christian, we have to understand, because I've been in some churches where I could sense that there was some unforgiveness going on. And folks, it'll split churches, and it'll cause people out in the community to talk well, what's going on at that church? They, they seem to have a terrible time. They talk again. Folks, it ought to be the mark of the Christian that we love one another, that we pray for one another, that we support one another. Did I not, Lord, say, he said this, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one towards another. That's the reason we ought to take the road of forgiveness, and certainly it, it affects our prayer life. Let me, let me close with this illustration. Another godly woman that has blessed my life was a woman who grew up in Holland. Her name was Corey Tinboon. I'm sure you've heard of her. Her, her father was killed in the concentration camp. Her, her sister died in the concentration camp. And by the grace of God, he allowed her to live many years after she left the concentration camp. But in her traveling as she spoke, she ultimately moved to America and died in, in California, if I remember correctly. But when she was in Europe, as she traveled around, on the Lord's Day, she'd make her way to church. And on one Sunday, several years after the close of World War II, she walked into a church and sat down and and the man was preaching. And she suddenly realized, I recognize that man. He was a guard at the Nazi concentration camp. And Corey talked about all the anger and the hurt and the memory and the horror that was inflicted upon her father and her sister. And he was a part of it. And oh, she said, I had a time, but I knew as a child of God, I knew that as a blood-bought child of God that I had to forgive that guard in the concentration camp. Folks, that's about as raw as it gets. And so I close with this. Are you sure 
that there's nobody in your life that you need to forgive. Because if there is, you will never be able to go further in the things of God until you forgive. Well, preacher, are you sure about that? That's what it says here. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. Oh, folks, I would ask you as members of this church or a visitor or whoever you are, first of all, we need God's forgiveness. We need to go to the cross and let the blood of Jesus justify us in the sight of holy God. And then as a Christian, we need to be willing even to forgive those ugly people who do bad things and say bad things. He said, if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let us pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for a baptismal service, we pray for these precious, precious young ladies. Oh, Father, what potential for the kingdom of God lies within those precious children's hearts. We pray for them, protect them. We pray, Lord, for what's going on in the Middle East, and we pray for Ukraine. Lord, it seems like our world is increasingly becoming a tinderbox. God, we thank you that you taught us to pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you are still in control, and we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.